considered early in my career that what I was always doing is is slaying another dragon. Hi, and welcome to Architecting. Uh, this is the show where we look at the word architect and uh, as a verb, the, the act of, of architecting and the people and the stories behind the, the buildings and the images. Uh, beyond this, we um, live in a very interconnected uh, international world where we, we kind of hear from the same people over and over. And so this show will purposely be um, local and focused on one community, on, on Denver. Um, I'm Adam Wagner. Uh, I'm a Denver-based architect, uh, married to an architect, have two architecture degrees from Kansas State and Yale. I've worked for architecture firms in Wichita, Kansas City, Rotterdam, New Haven, Mexico City, and now Denver for the last five years, where I work at Open Studio Architects and um, also teach at CU Denver. So I've loved to be, I've been rooted in this community for the last five years and um, just talk and connect with architects that, that inspire me and that, that I think are doing great work. And so I've decided to start recording these and, and broadcasting them. So uh, that brings us to today with our guest, uh, Stephen Dinia. We're going live with Stephen right now, joining us. But Stephen uh, founded uh, Dinia Architects in 1994. Um, he received a degree in fine arts and architecture from the Rhode Island School of Design. Uh, RISD, and then was a senior architect, a senior designer at the New York office of, of SOM. Um, until he created his firm in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and then uh, started a, a firm in uh, Denver in 2007 as well. Uh, needless to say, he's a very award-winning architect, the, the firm um, he's won over 40 awards, especially within AIA Colorado and Wyoming, um, including the Firm of the Year in Wyoming in 2008. He was awarded the Silver Medal uh, in 2017. Um, uh, he was also named to the AIA College of Fellows in 2013 and uh, teaches at CU Denver as well. So let's see, we'll get him in here. And there, and there's the man himself. How's it going? Good afternoon. So we have, we have Stephen here. Thank you for in, inviting me to do this. Well, thanks for joining. I think you were just on another uh, interview, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, it was Ray Rinaldi from the um, from the post. And we were giving him a tour of the new cabin um, micro housing oh, nice. project on, on the taxi campus. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I like critics that are, you know, they, they don't eat up everything you tell them. They ask questions and, you know, you you have to effectively influence them by explaining the meaning behind the you know moves that you've made and why the building is what it is and why the spaces are what they are and why it fits in culturally um to the fabric of of denver and more immediately the campus so that was fun nice where they give you a little bit of pushback and uh, oh yeah. oh yeah he's he's always engaging when i did an interview with him on the source hotel um he was uh, you know, a little cool to it right and then as i explained the reasons for the shifting of the floors um he so, sort of warmed up to it but you know through a series of intelligent questions that that were meaningful that that he he asked the right questions to enable me to ex explain it or to you know help uh, a better understanding of the project so um you know this was the same way you know there's a I mean, there's a, there's a uh, you know, a little bit of a negative connotations to the, to the to connotation to um, the idea of micro housing, you know, 
it got a bit of a bad rep as something that you know developers would just make the spaces smaller and change and charge the same amount of money right but i mean in, in this case it added 200 units to the taxi campus and they're you know renting for i mean they're like 450 square feet and they're renting for 12 or 1300 dollars a month you know which allows somebody to have their own space especially you know, though the thing was planned pre-pandemic, it sort of opened at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's that's funny, right? Yeah, we, my wife and I, we've lived in apartments at, of 250 square feet and 350 square feet for, yeah. for four years, you know, and you can you can do it but if they're done well. No, I know. But... I mean, you know, I, I will tell you that um, in, in New York City, you know, but New York, Denver is not New York City, you know. I lived in the West Village in 350 square feet, and it was great, you know. But, yeah. You know, it's it's a slightly different context, right? Yeah. Well, okay, well, let's get into that. So um, I think the um, – I'd like to start this off with, you know, I, I gave the kind of rote uh, introduction that's based mm -hmm. off your website and regurgitated that, but – I want to see what what who who do you who would you say you are? So what's what's your kind of two line bio if you had to say? Well, if you want to know who I am, you're going to have to ask my no. therapist. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I uh, the, the, I read that question and and thought about you know how um, I I basically spent um, a life in architecture from a fairly young age. And so, um, you know, it is um, my greatest pleasure and my greatest torture, but it is kind of the core of, of what I am and what I do. Yeah. And somebody, some people might call that an imbalanced life, but be that as, as it may, um, you know, I've come to a, a point in my career, you know, I, I think that careers are interesting because I think they, you know, I, I mean, some people are very confident to start, but, you know, architects um, take a long time to ripen and, you know, the, it's, it's a late blooming um, profession often for many people. And um, I feel like the growth of confidence over all of my experiences have led me to a comfortable place in relationship to the work that I do, um, to the con contributions and interaction with our built environment. Uh, and I, I could finally use a comic phrase that I, I've used since, I don't know, maybe I was 50, to identify the passage of time, which is a quote from an interview with Mel Brooks where he says, I went out, I got a prune Danish, I come back and I'm 65. <laughs> right? Well, next month I will be 65. I'm gonna go out and get a prune Danish. I'm gonna come back and say, I went out and got a prune Danish and I came back and I'm 65. You know, no. I mean, <laughs> as long as you don't come back and you're 75, you're all right. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, I know, I mean, Mel's gotta be in his 90s now. So. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, I like that, I like that imbalance. Uh, so let's, let's talk about how, how that imbalance started. So how'd you start off? Where, where yeah, are you from? So and how'd you get you, into it? You know, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a short version of the steps and eras, and then kind of go back and dig into them a little more. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, when I was a kid, I was very three-dimensional. Like I would make, spaces under dining tables and you know felt like um my um imagination was three-dimensional that that it was spatial you know and and you don't know that when you're a kid right but in retrospect um you know when when i was in high school and said to somebody i wanted to be an architect they said well you can't you're terrible at math yeah. and you know it's like well so what? You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I grew up in New Haven and <laughs> New Haven was a, was, is a very um, interesting architectural environment. There are buildings by Eros, Eros Saarinen, there are buildings um, 
by um, you know but most of the noted architects of mid 20th century. Lucan, um, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the first of. and last Lucan building, you know, plus it spawned an entire from Yale University sort of second tier, somewhat known architects. But, um, you know, the, the, there's a, a SOM, Gordon Bunchaft, Rare Book Library. There's Paul Rudolph and his um, brutalist everything um, and, you know, and, and others. Um, so, you know, I had, I had this sort of awareness. I remember, I think I was in high school when the Khan last building, the British Art Museum was being completed and, um, you know, sort of new things that were going on in architecture from, um, a Cape. Well, let me, let me tell you how it started. I, in high, I went to a high school often in, in the late sixties, there were, high schools in progressive cities that were considered high schools without walls and they were unconventional education. And I had been <laughs> two years in a, in a public high school and then chosen by lottery to be part of this program where we had, um, you know, our head, our main office was in the basement of a girdle factory and we got gym prep for walking to school in the morning, but they had a program called the, um, uh, community um, participation program um, where they would get professionals from the community to commit to uh, bringing in students, you know, several times a week. And there was an architect who did that. And I would go in and, you know, one week you talk about history and ancient history and recent history. And, um, you know, that sort of whetted my appetite. Um, it was the early 70s. And I have to say, I wasn't entirely academically inclined um, early on. Uh, but, you know, it was an unconventional education. So the things we gained in, like, the cultural progressiveness have stayed with me my, my whole life. Mm. You know, the sort of re meaningful relationships with, with teachers, you know, and, the, like, there were no grades given. <laughs> you know, the half-fail situation, and you got to critique this your instructor, you know, and, and, you know, this was an era when um, New Haven had uh, Bob, Bobby Seal and the Black Panthers and Angela Davis and, you know, things going on in Yale and, the, and, you know, a real heated um, uh, opposition to the Vietnam War. And so um, that education, where, you know, where I would say that conventionally, it, it wasn't great because you could get away with a lot of things, you know, as far as how many papers you write and whatever else. But it did, it did give me something of an independent means of thinking, you know, and a bigger vision of looking at the world. Um, and so when, when I left there, um, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I happened to get a job at... Um, an architect who had spun off of Aero Saarinen's <laughs> firm. Aero Saarinen started or moved his office from Michigan to New Haven in 1961, and he died of a brain aneurysm or whatever soon after. And there was a firm that um, didn't get top billing, and after five years, he left and started his own practice. So it was an interesting firm because it carried a lot of the traditions of Aero Saarinen's office. One was the use of large-scale models on every mm. So, um, you know, I, I became a model builder for that, for that firm. And the first thing I worked on was the restaurant on the top of the original World Trade Center, Windows on the World. <laughs> you know, so this was kind of an exciting thing. I got to go to one of the openings. But, you know, we did models that were three quarters to an inch. And wow. we would put them on tables and cut holes in the tables so the the principal Warren Platner could, you know, put his head up and feel the space. Right, this is before the digital magic came around. But um, he also had an industrial design department, and he's more known for his furniture designs, which are still Knoll manufactured. Hmm. Um, and and uh, I, I got probably more than anything out of the industrial design department is kind of can do figuring out how to make things, you know? And, and so I didn't have any resources to go to 
to really go to architecture school, but I still applied to, after a few years, to a number of places. And the two of them, you know, the two sort of best ones that I got into were, was uh, Rhode Island School of Design and Cooper Union. And hmm. Cooper Union was free. <laughs> and Rhode Island School of Design was well out of my reach until they called me and said, we miscalculated our financial aid and we're offering five of you full scholarships. <laughs> wow. So then I had this terrible decision to make to excited about moving to New York. And um, uh, I, I chose RISD, you know, sort of, I liked the fact that their studios were open longer and all, all you know, 24 hours a day um, near the end of the semester. And Cooper Union was sort of, uh, it didn't have quite that culture, you know, hmm. although really? it was a great, it, well, it, the studios closed at like 1030, you know, hmm. Um, every night. And at that time, there were a lot of borough students, you know, and they would just go home. And so, you know, that sense of living in the studio and being there till two in the morning every night and getting what you get from your fellow students, you know, I felt more of a connection with that at my tours of RISI and my speaking to other to, to stu students that were there and faculty. Um, so, you know, that, that was kind of an interesting um, culture shock. You know, I, I had a different background. I was a couple of years older, but, um, you know, and I had a background working for a firm, um, but the firm that I had worked for had sort of different architectural sensibilities than what I was learning at RISD. But the thing I remember from RISD is, you know, they, it's very focused on, conceptual issues, but also very focused on craft. Hmm. You know, so it's really about the making of things as it is about the thinking of things, you know, and, and um, going through that, I mean, there's, you know, the, there, um, there's just memories of, of an incredibly um, rigorous process of, um, of, of, you know, and it was a five-year program, right? So it's, Five-year programs were were more common back in that era, um, and they were very intense. You know, like you you had five years of studios. You know, yeah, really, really. And we used to go to Brown. You know, I mean, they had their their um, liberal arts program was not you know really robust. So we would take we were able to take Brown uh, courses at Brown University for hmm. writing and other things. Um, but you know the the just the the crafting of of objects and surfaces um, that we learned at RISD always stuck with me. Yeah. So when I think it's you know when when I think back to like interesting time periods for interesting programs, like I think of RISD especially in like those late sixties with like the Talking Heads kind of start, starting oh, up, yeah. and there's all this crazy <laughs> no. stuff going on, and like. Right. And, you know, and, and, and Cooper Union definitely has some of that in the, you know, early 70s, too, I think. But uh, what so what oh, yeah. were, you, you, what was that like at that time? Was that some crazy stuff going around? Are you seeing like the art kind of students and things or? Well, there were there were crazy things being done for projects. Um, one sculpture student had taken the main street of the campus. And, you know, this tells you about the resources that students had there. Um, they completely sodded it over. Right? <laughs> and so they changed the entire the acoustics of, of this campus by covering the pavement for like two weeks or something, right? Um, but, you know, they're, they're, I'll give you an example of the challenge that RISD students would, would put on the community. The police in Providence, I, I think this was the year before I, I went there, and David Byrne preceded me by own only a few years. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the whiff of, of him was still pungent in, 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 in the, the time I was there. You know, the, everybody wearing, like, for the crit, you know, skinny black tie, white shirt, you know, skinny lapel, black jacket, right? This is, this is a whole look, you know. <laughs> um, but um, what they're, they're, the, the town of Providence, the city, had 
passed an ordinance that there were there was not to be any nudity in in art exhibits. <laughs> and so the first thing that all the RISD students did was take Polaroids of their genitals and, and do an art show. <laughs> and, you know, it was a big controversy. You know, they, I don't know, I don't know exactly what how that all turned out, but you know, it was it was kind of the attitude of RISD in terms of challenging what was considered the norm. And you know, if I if I think of the how to put the one thing that RISD taught me was how to see things in a different way, you know, and and both accommodate your own unique viewpoint of the world, um, you know, and and always question the the conventional considerations of things, right? <laughs> so, you know, the, I mean, I think that was, the, that was the biggest thing that they collectively tried to train you to do. You know, it was like the, the whole faculty without even maybe fully realizing it was on that same page that they really um, challenged you to, to um, question the conventions of, of art and society. So that so then how did that translate to going to SOM after that? You know, it yeah. seems like yeah, yeah, a little friction or yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, like SOM was the, is the, you know, used to be the IBM of architecture firms. Yeah. You know, that we really, we really all did what wear white shirts and ties, you know, and, <laughs> and, and gray suits, you know, uh, daily. And um, it, it was still, you know, in, in the eighties, it still had that whiff of madman culture. Mm -hmm. you know, the partners offices had bars and, you know, the liquor cabinets and, you know, um, you could smoke in the studio. Right. You know? um, and I think what, um, you know, and this I would give as advice to, um, to students that there is a lot to learn from a point of, um, departure of going to a big firm where there are systems in place and maybe not the idiosyncrasy of, you know, a small firm that may do things in a certain way, you know, in, at SOM, um, there was, you know, there, there, there was a, a in, in, in some way it was like corrupting um, influence, but, you know, when I would go to a cocktail party and show my, give somebody my SOM card, they would immediately know whatever discipline they were in, what SOM is, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, in, in, um, you know, and, 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 you know, the idea of doing tall buildings around the world, you know, and I had gigs in London and in San Francisco, but I was based in New York. Um, and, you know, those were really fun times. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in living, I, I lived in the West Village, you know, and the clubs that were still around at that point, like um, the Palladian Ballroom and, you know, all of this stuff. But, you know, it was just, it was a very active, uh, absorptive uh, part of my experience. You know, it was, in New York, you have to do your hardest to edit out things so you're not so overwhelmed because there's so much going on. Right? And um, that's very different than other experiences in other places but you know SOM was part of that world for me where you know it was a little bit arrogant you know let's build them tall you know it, you know it's sort of a conquering um, uh, attitude and um, was you know the bigness of it was enjoyable for a period of time it was compelling um, when when I think back to it um, I, I then can't, you know, and, and I mean, there's lots of stories from SOM. I mean, it, it, SOM was a politically very hard place to survive. I mean, you needed, you needed like, you know, armor and weapons, you know, um, because I mean, there, there were people that, you know, it, it, it was ambitious. Um, but, you know, I will say about the whole experience of being at SOM and being in New York. I, what I loved about New York is that it made you feel small hmm. and there's a beautiful aspect of, of, of making you feel small because then it makes the world feel enormous. Hmm. And, um, 
in, in SOM, you know, I could look to the, my, the right of me and I, I worked in the design department, you know, so, I mean, we would do an impeccable set of, of DD drawings, you know, and, and the technical department would come in and begin to work with us and work out curtain wall details and other things. But, um, you know, th th there were people more talented than me. There were people less talented than me. And it sort of gives you a, a very fair um, understanding of, of the world <laughs> of architecture you know, and what expectations are. And, and I learned so much from my friends at SOM, many of whom I'm, I still keep in touch with. And we, you know, I, I have a desk in New York that I'm, it's not always manned, but it, it's a small space that, um, you know, I use for some work over there, but also for meeting clients uh, that I may be doing houses for in Jackson Hole, but they're in New York. Um, so, um, you know, this, this sense of, um, of being in New York um, was very exciting and, it, it sort of started to wind down during the recession of 91, hmm. um, where there was the market crash in 87, but it recovered. There was still a lot of work being done and we were doing powers in New York and every one of them, like their financing fell apart. You know, they had Jap Japanese money behind them at the time. And um, SOM went from like, I don't know, 450 to, um, uh, to like 160 or something, right? Wow. They just, you know, they just didn't need the production. And, you know, but a, a place that is that um, politically charged um, is, you know, challenging in good times. And it's, 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 it gets increasingly difficult, you know, as work becomes more sparse and people are trying to hold on to their position. And it really was a point where I thought, you know, I love New York and I never wanted to leave New York, but um, I, I, I just started to remember my education and the, the um, I, you know, I, I always thought an architect is really, you know, so multi-talented and, and, or, or needs um, multiple skills, right? I mean, you have to be somewhat of a business person, um, you know, or, or you have to be somewhat of a PR person. You have to be, you know, a technician. You have to be manager, you know, and a designer. And at SOM, I was in the design department and, you know, everything was departmental, you know, hmm. the thing you needed went to a whole department that did, it, you know. And so I started to think about um, other possibilities and, um, I visited Jackson Hole, uh, visiting a friend, and went. Um, you know, it, it was funny actually because the year before, I was working in the San Francisco office for six months, and they offered me a position in that office. And I said, "I don't know. Can I live in some place as small as San Francisco <laughs> compared to New York?" You know, and then and then like a year and a half later. I'm, I'm packing up my stuff and moving to Jackson Hole. But the reason for doing it is that when I, when I visited there, it, there really wasn't anyone doing modern work. You know, everything was log or national park architecture or arts and crafts kind of work, right? And, you know, some of it was nicely done, but, um, you know, I, I was more intrigued by the history of the Mies van der Rohe house in Jackson Hole, hmm. you know, and, and that became my point of, of departure for, you know, considering, you know, most people that were practicing architecture there considered the log cabin as the point of origin of architecture in that community, you know, and, and I looked at it as, um, you know, people buy these lots for $3 million, they build a $5 million house, and you know they end up with little divisions in their windows, right? And so the excitement about thinking about um, di a different kind of architecture that opened up to the landscape and you know had fluid relationships to the landscape. And this was in the mid '90s, so you know it was not really being practiced. And it took 
a while to get traction yeah to convince people to do this you know and and it, w- it was very hard to do it back then because you know you could do it with clients who were not in a formal subdivision because the subdivision required roof pitches and you know you couldn't do flat roofs and you know you had all sorts of restrictions um, um so you know going through those things like I, I just thought of one other tidbit from the time working with Warren Flatner there was the recession of 1977 I think it was Jimmy Carter's um, late 70s where his office went from 52 people to eight people <laughs> and as those people you know I, I was still an untrained architect right I was yeah. not going to school and th- as those people left they looked at me and they said are you sure you want to do this is this really what you want to do you know and and you know honestly living through i've lived through you know numerous recessions in in my period of of um you know of my career you know and and um i i felt the pain you know and i had to get rid of people and you know all the things that make it unpleasant um but the the so you know if you could imagine the environment in new york and why I brought up this notion of New York is a place where you almost have to frame the things you want to do and exclude the other things. Um, it's it's a, also a place where nature is contained by the fabric of the city. Yeah. And I moved to a place that was the exact inverse and contrast. And, and that is sort of what got me interested in it, you know, um, because it was, it was actually contrast in a, in, in a number of ways, um, you know, if you think of, I, I felt like when I went to Jackson Hole, I introduced anxiety to a very <laughs> sedate community. <laughs> yeah, like you, you, you better not give the finger to somebody at the traffic light, the one traffic light, because you're gonna be standing next to them getting a cup of coffee 10 minutes later, right? So, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the, the um, that that contrast of density you know was so startling and and also the fact that architecture became fully three-dimensional for me you know like you 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 knew what the south side of a building was you know i mean it 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 was um it was a study of environmental phenomena you know in terms of everything from wind to terrain to you know to everything and and um um you know, it, it just was very fascinating to embark on that, you know, and when I got traction, I never really intended on staying there as long as I did. But um, when I when I got traction, it became too intriguing, you know, because one project would lead to another and, you know, the next client would allow a degree of boldness that the former client didn't quite do, you know, and when I ended up, you know, you really have to develop a body of work. Right. Yeah. Or you could convincing, convincingly go to somebody and say, you know, I know how to do this for you. You know, so when I did build up, you know, enough of a portfolio and, and again, you know, how long did that take? There were, well, it, it, you know, it's, it took five years. Yeah. You know, um, at least, you know, and I mean, I mid, moved there in the mid 90s and, you know, the first really, um, um, interesting modern house where the client had full confidence in me to do this project you know they they had never had a modern house and they just said do what you think needs to be done you know and um it was a bold house because it was a sort of it was it was a it was a house that had a misalignment of the building envelope and the structure hmm. so on the southeast side it had slabs of concrete every 16 feet and on the northwest side it had columns of concrete every 16 feet but it, the north side was external and the south side was internal hmm. you know and so it, which that, house is that, that? it's it's called the frame house hmm. on my website and um it is you know it's almost like a bread slicer you know it's these tr- wooden trusses um semi-embedded in the ceiling 
and you know this structural grid every 16 feet and you know it was like okay that was really an som idea because you know? som doing vertical buildings you know you, you you can start with a structural idea you know if you look at the the hancock building in chicago you know as the brace frame or the sears tower as bundled tubes right you know the 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 form came out of the idea about structure and so that was a little bit embedded in my thinking but also that house has a kind of determination that you know and i and i'm not i don't mean this to sound i, I it was influenced by lewis khan also because you know i when i think of the two architects that really intrigued me out of the 20th century um, in the United States, it was Lewis Kahn because his work, you know, and, I mean, everything he did looks like it will last a thousand years. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it looks like it's somewhere between a building and a ruin, you know, and, and it's just so authoritative yet communicative with its context and its mm -hmm. uses, you know? And I mean, he had a special ability to do that from, you know, Dhaka and Bangladesh, right? To, to the stuff in India, to, you know, the, his work in the United States. And so it is the permanence and timelessness of his work that always really, in, you know, influenced me. Um, and then the other um, architect was Aero Saarinen because you know, he died, he was like 51 when he died. And, you know, he already had a lines of furniture and, you know, major buildings, but the buildings were never derivative from each other. You know, I mean, yeah. he was doing Bell Labs, you know, a comp or, 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 or the Ford headquarters. Yeah. Headquarters. So, yeah. At the same time that, that he was doing TWA and Dulles, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I find an honorability in, in that, inventiveness where you're not looking to repeat yourself you yeah know, you're, you're really looking to discover new things you know and just think of doing the twa terminal and the anxiety that must you know like you know you shouldn't model everything you know i mean yeah you have built models you know to try to replicate the forces right but you know so so how, how, I, I, yeah how did that how did that feel like having those images in your head coming from slm and yeah. then being in jackson for five years and what are you doing you beating your head on the wall like doing projects that you're not you don't well, really believe in or like you know was there it's incremental yeah right so you know let's say the first things i got were you know more um smaller houses or uh additions you know and you just kind of push the envelope not not against the will of an owner but you know in in their interest you're using your authority or your your skill to do things that are unexpected from the standpoint of the client, but pleasantly unexpected. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and so, but it, I mean, it could be as simple as you know doing somebody's family room and you know making it feel like a pavilion, you know, or or something that 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 changed the dynamic of how architecture was seen as buildings with walls that had windows in them. You know, yeah, um, which is the and the row project intrigued me so much because it was a glass pavilion over a creek, and Nice, who did collages of many of his projects, they would usually be collages of the exterior of a building on the backdrop of a city. This was actually just just a, a line of a ceiling and a line of a floor and a view. You know, so it it subordinated the architecture to the landscape in what I thought was, you know, a magical way. Um, but uh, back to um, Saarinen, you know, so, I mean, I have this tangle with Saarinen because when I worked at Warren Flatman's office, he had taken many people from the remains of Saarinen's office, um, you know, five years after he died, the name changed. Uh, and, and so, you know, um, I, I, I was very familiar with Saarinen because of those connections. Um, and I was very familiar with Khan because of the New Haven work. But the way it, it, it you know, it, I would think about it is, um, you know, not, not linearly along, you know, although I will say that, you know, when I, when I give pre presentations, I do 
um, focus on some buildings that I've done that houses that are just simple linear uh, buildings, you know, that um, that have different structural systems and different spatial proportions. But, um, you know, I it also led me to do some things that were way on the other direction in terms of co complexity of form, you know, and and so that little part of it came from uh, my admiration for Saarinen, you know, um, the frame house and some of the other the simplicity of some of the other houses, you know, were were from inspiration from um, from Khan, um, you know. But you know, so doing these things one by one, thinking about what I would want to do, and you know, often uh, it would get discouraging, you know, because you start a practice, you've got to pay your bills. Yeah, and and you know, I. I but I, I resisted, you know, and in really every other architect, I mean, there was maybe one other person doing some, you know, in, interesting things. Um, but, the, you know, it was, um, you, you know, I could have, if I wanted to make money, I would have just capitulated and, you know, designed log houses. Yeah. Um, because 99% of the people wanted it. But, you know, I looked at the opportunity as, you know, where, where people looked at it as a kind of, pioneer nostalgia you know I, I looked at the west as as a frontier for new ideas you know and and you know that i had a tenacity that just stayed with it you know that i was not going to um capitulate to that kind of stuff that i had a mission to accomplish which was you know to, to do really good houses for people but also you know to change the community's view of architecture. And the biggest way I did that was as the design architect for the Performing Arts Center, mm -hmm. in Hall, which, you know, um, that was 2007 that it opened, right? And that's when I thought, you know, it's, not, it's never gonna get any better than this. You know? I mean, you know, as architects, we love to do public buildings, right? Um, I mean, we, um, I would say that that we feel, um, you know, like if you get a museum or a library or, a, you know, arts building or something, um, it's pretty thrilling. So that's that's when I connected with Denver, and because yeah. I had so much international travel, I, I I wanted a hub in Denver because I was tired of getting um, uh, uh, stranded in Jackson and you know the insane flight courses to get places and i did travel often um back to new york and you know to europe and asia um but you know i, I thought i don't know um oh i, I remember yeah so will bruder was doing work mm. for taxi development and you know he called me and things this was before the, the crash and he said um there's a freight building, a truck freight building from the 50s that they want to redo into office space. And so he, you know, was going to work on another building here and he had work in Saudi Arabia and um, his office was, I think, quite uh, busy at the time. So, you know, I did this and then the whole world stopped during the middle of that project. And, but, it, but it allowed me to develop this relationship with the Zeppelins and try to you know, have them understand the value that a designer brings, you know, and they are um, developers that I've been working with for 12 years, uh, over 12 years now, you know, and, you know, the thing I like about them is that they're, they're not linear, you know, necessarily. Um, and the, pr the processes are always interesting um, and interactive, but, you know, they, they are, they are really, curious to explore different things you know i mean they you know they repeat a few things like the garage doors on upper floors and you know but but all of the buildings that we've done you know zeppelin station the hotel flight freight residences um drive one drive two um the cabin building you know they're they're they have their own vibe and so um you know i jumped in a way you know, I, I, I was, I still have a really good office in Jackson and I have great people working with me. 
and great people running that office, you know, and I go back and forth, but um, which, which was a good idea given that, you know, probably the biggest market for architecture right now is in high, you know, high end houses. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it doesn't have the sort of nobility of doing public buildings, but, you know, after I did that performing arts center, also then, you know, the modern um, vocabularies were being more embraced in, in Jackson. So it wasn't as much of a dare, you know, <laughs> doing, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit, right? And so the, the opportunity in Denver just kept, when the, when the crash kind of quiet, quieted down, and Denver kind of came roaring out of it, and Rhino, you know, came roaring out of it. It it just gave me this wonderful opportunity to work, you know, in a place which, um, you know, I started to actually become fond of Denver. You know, in, in I think in an earlier part of my life it would have been hard, um, you know, in in comparison to New York. Like it was easier to move to Jackson Hole because there was no comparison. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's it's different universes, right? And and in a in another city, I would be comparing things. But you know, it, at this point of, of maturity in my in my professional career, I just feel that um, you know, De Denver is a very uh, a city with a, with a very optimistic future. Hmm. You know, it, it always do the right thing in terms of their urban planning and and other stuff. But by and large, it, you know, I think it has a future culturally, you know, um, and, and with new generations, you know, that other places don't have. They're, they've either, you know, overpriced themselves, you know. And I don't know what's going to happen with this whole pandemic and how it's going to jostle up and, you know, shake up the whole world of office spaces and residential spaces and you know suburban perceptions and you know i mean we just don't know yet you know yeah i know so i think i think that kind of takes us into our next topic here but the uh, one story about you that i like is that when i moved here like five years ago i reached out to you guys and and had had some good conversations with uh, like doug stalker with your firm and yeah, yeah. and we were talking and and I had a had a coffee with him one time and and you came in and you were you were come talk to him and then he said like yeah hey yeah nice to meet you good good seeing you whatever and then it didn't work out with the with with you guys with timing and stuff but a few months later then you were on the jury of an a, a young architects AIA oh, yeah, yeah, award yeah. and um and I got I got one of the awards and I was like and I, I was on a real high and I was like man I bet he remembers that project from my portfolio. And he, he's like, yeah, he, here you go, man. And, and so, and so I saw you at the thing and I, and I went up and, and I was feeling really, really good. And I said, Hey, Hey, Steven, yeah, thanks. You know, thanks for, for the award. You know, it's too bad. We didn't, we didn't get, yeah. get it to work out with the firm, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. And you just looked at me with like the blankest stare, like, who the yeah. hell is, who, this, who guy? is this guy? <laughs> and it was like it was like the moment of like high like like excitement yeah. to like grounded me right right really well. I I, yeah. I, I apologize. No, for no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm often not very good at that. In that you know when I connect with people, I connect with people. But you know I have a a, a social life in New York, you know, a, a, an existence in Jackson Hole, and here's this new place, Denver, that I'm trying to understand. <laughs> where everybody comes from and what they're doing. And, you know, every firm becomes another alphabet name every six months. And, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, firms buy firms, you know, they, they absorb other firms and I get really do get confused. And, yeah. and, and now, now that I'm teaching, and this is my third semester uh, uh, teaching in the graduate program, you know, it's like a whole new environment to learn. You know, where yeah. I've got to remember who everyone is and, and, you know, and not like, you know, diss somebody without meaning to do it. Well, it was just, it was just I mean, my hubris of thinking that you, you would remember me, but, yeah. but I, but that, but that just leads into the, this idea of like, of, of what, what was the moment of, of biggest like failure or, or in, in, the, in your career as you look back or like the low, that lowest point yeah. where you just, whatever, you know? 
Well, I think there was some anxiety in the middle of my, my time of only having Jackson mm. as a practice where I felt that, you know, I didn't want to be seen as an architect that just did houses. You know, I mean, yeah. I think that as an, you know, an obligation to myself and the profession that doing public work um, is, was very important to me, you know, and, and the place got smaller and smaller and closed in on me, you know, hmm. and, and, and I felt lost. And then the crash happened, you know, although I had sort of started to engineer the Denver, uh, opening up the Denver office in 07, um, you know, not much happened before the crash. And then I was kind of like there in, in a place that, you know, I don't ever like to disrespect Jackson Hole because it's a beautiful place. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of really interesting people there, but, you know, it, it has limited cultural options, um, you know, just by size, right. And proximity to yeah. other places. And, you know, I, I would think that that, that was my, my low point in, in feeling, um, you know, a little desperate. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And then, then the recession, I mean, the, the, you know, the great recession, you know, talk about feeling, you know, like I can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this. You know, I had all kinds of things going on. I had purchased a building for my office on a piece of property overlooking the town of Jackson, like in the end of 07. And then it was worth like half the you know, of, of what, it, what I paid for it, right? And I had like an obscene mortgage and had to come up with interesting ways of, um, I, I, I figured out um, with, with a friend of mine how to um, uh, interpret the town's regulations to allow for a, a variant of live work and then get the bank, I convinced the bank to lend me money more than what I already owed them, you know, to, to like build a fourplex, you know, and it worked out and I built a, you know, and I managed to work myself out of it. But, you know, at the same time, they're, you know, you're worried about um, payroll and, you know, how quickly do you need to get rid of people and, you know, the, the torment of doing that, right? I mean, that, that was a low point. I mean, that was a, you know, um, a real... Um, really like painful, painful period that, you know, I was already start starting to get a little, you know, just closed in feeling and, and, you know, now it actually makes me like both places even more. Hmm. It's the contract and, you know, the diversity of being able to um, go to that place and still have an active practice and, um, uh, um, you know, client base and, and uh, I'm, you know, I serve on art boards in Jackson Hole, um, and there's seven people there and seven people here, um, hmm. and you know that's like the maximum that that I I would really ever like to have. And you know, I early because I came from the SOM design department. You know, my the DNA of the firm has always been, you know, very rigorous about design schematic design and development you know and not not that i have um you know any less regard for the science of architecture um i certainly do and i think that that's what makes it unique and torturous is that you know a sculptor doesn't have to make it yeah you know <laughs> not leap. <late>. yeah <laughs> you know so so you know I have wheelchairs the, the, the thing that ultimately always intrigued me is is just that breadth of what we do as as private practitioners, you know, and to go into private practice, you don't really know what you're going into, and and you're learning it step by step, right? And you you don't, I mean, the things you have to confront, you know, the the um, learning the business of doing it without a really without a business degree, yeah, you know, and, and understanding enough about the finances, you know, all I know is that some money comes in from this side, I grab a little bit off, and it goes out the other side. <laughs> That's the way. That's yeah. The way Hopefully you can grab some and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 um, you know, the, 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 but the, the sort of, um, pride of, of knowing that I could get as engaged in a technical problem on a project, you know, as I can a conceptual pro 
problem, you know, or challenge or opportunity, um, you know, has, has always been the thing that will eternally motivate me hmm. in architecture. You know, I'll, I'll never, I'll never retire, you know, I'll just collapse somewhere, you know, but yeah, um, good architecture. Uh, you know, hopefully not in the I, bus station I'm, of the, yeah. No, being a leader in, in design, you know, I mean, the other thing about having private practice is that, you know, you, you have a responsibility to your people, you know, that they have fulfilling um, experiences, you know, and that you, you treat them as equals, you know, and, 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 um, you know, they, I mean, I've always had a fairly egalitarian office you know i mean early on i sort of insisted on doing all the conceptual design you know i kind of bogarted it a little bit i always had you know 10 things i wanted to explore right and as as i matured you know i, I consider myself a design director and founder of my office but you know i both um initiate and create designs as well as enable other people to do it you know, and, and um, uh, you know, feel more um, warmly um, able to interact with the, the staff and make them feel fulfilled, you know, that, that they're really being able to do the things they want to do um, uh, and, 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 you know, give them that re regard and recognition. Um, so, you know, that has become very important to me because, you know, it speaks to the health of an office um, and, you know, the, the uh, degree of turnover, the, you know, whatever one confronts. I mean, they're um, uh, a good office with people that you treat well is, a, is something to cultivate. Yeah, because like, like you're saying, it's, it's the profession can take so much away from you, right? And it's so, yeah. so difficult. And to, to have those high moments even when you're working under somebody or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, so what, what, if you had to say, what, what, what was the mountaintop moment? Have you had a moment where you just like stand back and say, man, this is all mm -hmm. worth it. This is the, this is the time. Well, yeah. So the first major house that I, um, you know, there were a number of high points, right? So, you know, I had times at SOM where, you know, I was recognized by associate partner for, you know, coming in the office seven days a week for three months for 12 hour days. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, you know, um, uh, but, you know, certainly the, the first house that I did in Jackson, I was so terrified that, you know, it might be rejected by the community and, and you know, begin the demise of my efforts to make inroads and, and, and move the community in a certain direction. Um, and when it was done and, you know, th there's that thing about architecture, I guess, you know, I guess when people said, what, what do you love about architecture? I always said that, you know, when you're thinking of a space, you know, as you're drawing, as you're designing or you're exploring and, and you think about the proportions of that space and you have it in your head and you're walking through it and you're understanding axially, what are you looking at when you're entering the room? What are you looking at as you turn around? You know, I mean, all of those things, you know, when, when the building is done to go in and the, the sort of, you know, goosebumps of it sort of worked out, you know, I was it makes, kind of right. It yeah. makes it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was enough right. But I also now take that further into, um, to me, the, the most important thing about architecture is, is its interface with the user and its interface with the fabric of its existence, you know, like in a city, um, that, that it is a component of something rather than a singular, you know, um, uh, effort, right? That yes, it is a singular effort, but it has um, responsibilities to um, other things, you know, and that could mean a lot of things. It might mean you want to contrast context, you know, or it may mean you want to comply with context or reinterpret context, yeah. you know, or lead, lead the context in a different way. Right. But, yeah. but all of those things that I just, I see, you know, the, the act of architecture is slightly less of an egotistical um, uh, effort, you know, that, that 
that yes, it's incredible to make a building that's going to be there for you know a pretty long time. Although in the United States, you know, they, you know, you go to Italy, buildings are there for a thousand years. You come here and you know, fifty years and they're gone, right? We ran into an hour time limit and got Stephen got cut off. I had this counter coming up on the top, and and I, it was just too good to break in on yeah. you, so I had to. But anyway, sorry. Um, I, I I'll take a breath, <laughs> and um, I will try to uh, just finish whatever it was we started. So, where were we? So. Yeah, I think you, you were kind of just talking about that, that, that high point moment um, and just the, I think the power of architecture in that. Um, and then and I think just the last question would be, you know, do you, do you know where you're going next? What what's next? What what kind of keeps your blood pumping and inspires you right now? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, we travel a lot. And I really miss traveling because we normally travel extensively every year. And, you know, traveling for me is a learning experience. So it's not, you know, it's nonstop um, absorption of cultural information. Hmm. And my other half is a woman who was a, a ballet dancer with Paris Opera um, Ballet and then director, stage director at Monte Carlo. And she now is a um, ballet mistress at a number of studios. But we travel well together and I look forward to a lot more travel, but I will never not look forward to new opportunities in doing architecture. I really would like to consider, I have some furniture designs that I would like to develop and consider putting into production. And I'm, you know, looking into what those possibilities are. But I've, um, I will always be intrigued. And I think as a private practitioner uh, with, a studio that is really about design, we don't pigeonhole ourselves into a particular building type. We all know that, you know, if you do hospitals or life, I mean, if you do one building type, you know, you're in that groove. But um, in what we do, it's a new learning experience every time because it's a new program. So I would look to branch out in doing work in other places as well. Do you see another drastic jump in your, in your life? Like you've had the kind of three now of locations, at least you're going to shake it up again. Interestingly, I didn't really do those strategically. You know, <laughs> I will say that um, I, I did them as a, I considered early in my career that, what I was always doing is is slaying another dragon. You know, I, I would think that going to RISD from my background in a um, lower middle class ethnic uh, urban environment to a place like RISD was slaying the dragon. Going to a firm like SOM was slaying the dragon. And taking the opportunity or making the opportunity or identifying opportunities in terms of moving to Jackson Hole and then the opportunity to come to Denver, it's really, the opportunity is half of it and your ability to identify it and move on it is the other half. So I can't really predict. There's nothing like I have a strategic plan that I will do exactly this. I mean, I think I, you know, my, I, I would love to move to a foreign country uh, and do work in some other place, but uh, I'm at a point in my career where I am relatively comfortable in 
in the three things I do, the, the two main offices with a New York, you know, minor presence, and then the teaching has mm. become more important to me. And mm-hmm. I would say what I might see as a high point now and another shift is more dedication to teaching opportunities because, you know, at this age, I have lots of experiences in practice and in the world of architecture that yeah, made me feel like I want to participate with people learning architecture that I have a lot to offer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been good to, good to have you at the school and, and see you in their teaching and, and see you around. And, and like I said, I, yeah, you know, before I moved here, you know, just looking around at the architectural architecture going around, you know, you were definitely a high point and it's great to uh, be able to have this conversation and um, thank you. have, have thank a relationship you with you. That. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks uh, for coming on again, this new show. Sorry, sorry, sorry about dissing you as a yeah. young architect. <laughs> oh yeah. I need to be dropped down a lot. Usually my <laughs> wife does it, but it's good to have other people that bring me down. So. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate I think it. This is a great little, um, um, whatever you call this, uh, architecting. Uh, is that the name of this? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's... I think this is a very, a very useful thing to do hmm. to share experiences. So thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. Good talking. Great. Thank you, Adam. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can visit architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor. Have a great week and continue to reach out. Thanks. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.